This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the 462nd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm Scott Feinberg, the host, and I am recording this episode, as I don't need to tell the people in the room, but this is for our listeners, uh, in front of an audience of students at Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts, where I'm very proud to teach part-time. My guest today is a Malaysian-born actress who has been in the game for nearly 40 years. She has been described by NPR as, quote, the leading lady of Hong Kong's action movies, close quote, by GQ as, quote, one of the most physically gifted actresses alive, close quote, and by the Irish Times as, quote, surely the greatest female action star in cinema history, close quote. Exactly 25 years ago, mainstream American audiences were introduced to her in the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies, in which she ushered in a new era of Bond girls who could kick ass and take names themselves. And over the years since, she too has shined in movies made all around the world, including Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sunshine, The Lady, Crazy Rich Asians, and this year, Everything Everywhere All at Once, directed... Directed by the Daniels for A24, a breakout hit at the box office, which has brought her the best reviews of her career and could and should bring her some well-deserved, overdue awards attention later on in the season. But today, what we are going to discuss is all of the above and much more, and then we are going to take your questions. And so, without further ado, would you please join me in welcoming to Chapman one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World for 2022, and an actress and movie star for all time, the great Michelle Yeoh. Wow, thank you. Michelle, thank you so much for coming to Chapman and doing this, and great to see you. Uh, I had the privilege of interviewing you 11 years ago when you were promoting The Lady, and a lot has happened uh, in the years since. A lot happened before that. We're going to cover it all, Mm -hmm. but as we always do on this podcast, can we begin by uh, just asking you, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? Okay. 
Hi, I'm Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I was actually born Yo Chu King, and I was born in Ipoh, Perak, Malaysia. Nine. All right, I'm going to give you the number, 1962. Yeah, it's a big, big, big year this year. Yes, very big year. Yes. Well, and... and uh, oh, and my parents. parents. My dad was a lawyer. My mom is a wonderful mother, a housewife. Now, at the age of 15, you moved to London for what reason? I actually went to England, um, landed in London, because I wanted to ba uh, study ballet. And, in fact, you did that there at a very prestigious place, but... Um, not long after being there, got a bad break, some bad news of sorts. Can you tell us about why you went there and what happened there? So ever since I was a little girl, I always wanted, I loved dance. I lived in the world of ballet and ballerina. That was a dream. Um, having one day my own school and teaching little girls and little boys, this great love of mine, which was ballet. So the best place to do it was in the Royal Academy of Dance in London, and also the sister school, which is in Chester, which my father thought was much more appropriate since I was only 15, 16 years old. London wasn't exactly the best place to be in. So I went off uh, to England, and I had the best time, really seriously. I, you know, classes start at nine, and I was dancing. I was in the world of ballet, I was dancing all day, and then would go to night classes to do O-levels, you know, like a normal student would. Um, and unfortunately, by my second year, I came back a little late to class, and that was the worst thing you can do as a, an athlete or a, a dancer, is that because once class starts, you have the warm-up sessions, and then you go straight into the brutal lifestyle of what it takes to be a ballerina. And because I was about two weeks late, I skipped the, I missed, I didn't skip, I missed completely the warm-up sessions and went straight into full-blown classes. And by the end of the week, um, I literally was crawling up the stairs because I had pulled a bad muscle. And as a ballerina, what you do is you learn to live through pain. That was how we were taught. Just imagine, you're on your points, you're standing on tiptoe, and you have to... <laughs> like you were floating on air, but can you imagine the blisters and the blood, bloody feet we would get every time you took off your shoes? So you, you have that mantra, you can do this, you can live through it. And we had a very good um, physio uh, a doctor to an orthopedic surgeon. She was looking after the ballerinas, and actually at that point, Ballerinas are told at a very young age whether you will physically be able to be part of that world. And at 12, sometimes uh, 13, you, they would say you will be too tall, you will be not the right shape, and you would not be able technically to enter that. And can you imagine to be, uh, to be told at that, age, that young, tender age that this is not a dream that you should pursue anymore? But mine came in a very different way. Uh, she noticed that I was, I couldn't bend over, I couldn't do the normal things, so she checked on me and she sent me to a specialist who in turn said, you have damaged your, one of my vertebrae had rotated and I needed um, 
sort of minor surgery on it. Uh, but that would mean that I cannot do the physical side of the dance course that I was in. And you know at that age, when someone tells you that literally I understood what it means, your dreams shatter, like a mirror. <laughs> Everything just went. But uh, because I was a foreign student, my principal, Mrs. Hammond, was very wise. And she said, you know, there's not just one way to approach a subject matter. There are so many different ways that you can still pursue your dreams. It doesn't have to be through this path. And so she introduced me to the world of creative dancing. There is choreography, there is history. There was so much, the world was so much bigger then. And so I embarked on another journey, which took me to, um, which was a very interesting journey, which took me to learning about dance in a much broader sense. And at that time, I thought, well, while I'm doing my degree in dance, I am going to minor in drama. I will take a drama course, which will help in my body language and be able to tell the story in a different way. And I discovered stage fright. <laughs> it's just its own problem, yeah. It was the worst thing ever. <laughs> and I think if at that time you said to my professors then, Chu, Chu as I was known, um, would one day be an actress, they would say, I bet my bottom pound <laughs> that that would never happen. Right. <laughs> well, so now another unexpected thing happens where I guess you go home to Malaysia at that point still, I believe, right? And you find out, not for the first time, I think, that your mother, like my mother and I'm sure others' mothers, is a little can be a little bit of a, a busybody into your business, <laughs> and what? How did you? What did you find out that she had done? Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, and still until today, she <laughs> continues to be. Well, she entered me for Miss Malaysia, <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering during that, someone was like, "What is going on with her?" You know, it's like, "Oh, you know, you should do this kind of thing because after you get past twenty-one, you'll never be able to do it again." I'm like. I don't have any intention of doing this. Next thing I know, my brother is in on it. Everybody around me was in on it. And in the end, honestly, I did it so she would get off yeah, my back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, if I don't succeed, it will never happen again. And you let me do what I want. So I, I went and did it. And won Miss Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> Which means then you got to go on to Miss world yes. and many other things. So one of the things that, that uh, I guess resulted from this higher profile, which really is like being an ambassador in Malaysia, yes. right? Like you're, it's a very high profile gig. This brought you to the attention of some people who were making a commercial in Hong Kong. Can you connect the dots of how you wind up for the first, but not the last time opposite Mr. Jackie Chan? <laughs> okay, that was it. So what happened was, um, so I was Miss Malaysia, I was an ambassador. And remember, Malaysia is a, very, is a Muslim country. So it really is about um, going out there and being the ambassador, ambassador of your country. I went to Australia, I went to London. And it was really an amazing opportunity and experience because I was suddenly thrown, in, it was very competitive. And, but um, I'm competitive by nature because I'm an athlete, I'm a sports person. Uh, so you are trained in a sense to, there's no second place. 
right? <laughs> That's only in the first place. And you have to get to that place. But as, along the way, you learn that it's okay because it's just a journey. You don't have to be that, which doesn't make you less of or less better than somebody else. And that was, I enjoyed that process where I learned to take a step down and go like, okay, right? It's comparing apples to oranges, emeralds to rubies to diamonds. It's like, who is to say which is better, right? It's a preference. So, um, but all in all, it was a great experience. And I went to Hong Kong for the first time and I was on TVB for a show. Um, uh, and, but I was performing dance, so that was easy for me. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. Then a girlfriend of mine was in Hong Kong having dinner with uh, Mr. Dixon Poon, who was a newcomer to the film industry. He was an entrepreneur, businessman, and he understood how he could use film advertising to promote all his, his brands. And he had Ralph Lauren, Chopard, Bulgari, Roland, all the best brands. And he had signed on Jackie Chan, Chow Yun-Fat, um, George Lam, uh, Sammo Hong. And he said to my friend, oh, well, you know, they were having dinner. And he said, we haven't found the right girl yet. Lo and behold, <laughs> these are where good friends come into play. <laughs> she said, hang on a second. She literally looked into her wallet and she said, how about her? <laughs> and that started a new journey for me. <laughs> so you wind up, this is 1984, you're in the commercial, you're obvious Jackie Chan. with Jackie Chan. And the gentleman you mentioned, Dixon Poole, I guess at that point says, let's put you also under contract, right? Which means starting in movies too. Right. And initially though, what's kind of interesting is there was nothing, you know, you there's forget people today know you for um, among other things being very physical in, in many of your movies. That was not what they were actually asking you to do. Even though you'd come from that world, you'd been in advertisements with uh, now an advertisement with Jackie Chan, but you're basically in the early roles playing what have been described as damsels in distress, right? <laughs> Let me give an example. In your first movie, you play a social worker bullied by juvenile delinquents until the martial artists show up and save the day. Save the day. <laughs> what were your thoughts as, the, as that kind of thing was happening around you in these movies? At that time, because I was so new, right? I'm in a foreign place. I didn't really speak the language well. Um, in Hong Kong, they spoke um, Cantonese. And <laughs> in the old days, we didn't really have full script. We, we had what they called flying papers. They would write it and they, the papers would fly around. Okay, <laughs> then you would get it. And I don't know how to read Chinese. And like, I don't know what I'm saying. But like, it's okay, because we used to film, edit. I could be filming on Monday, the movie will be out by Friday. <laughs> so that's the speed of how they worked. And they were so proficient, efficient, whatever the word, they were top of their game. Um, and at that time, because I didn't speak the language, you, you, you had to take a step back and go like, I'm gonna follow whatever they tell me to do. So at that point in the heydays of Hong Kong, it was the guys, the Jackie Chan, the Samo, the Yun Piu, the, the Don, uh, uh, Jet Li, who were top of the game. And their job was to protect their women. So we were the damsel in distress <laughs> and running around going, oh, Jackie, 
save me. And I'm like, ah, not doing that. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> so by my second film, I said, because when I looked at the choreo, it is choreography. It's not like, you know, it's not, improv it's not improv. Everything is planned. And when I looked at it, it was like, this is like a dance. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what I've been doing all these years. Choreography, learning the moves and doing it, executing it, and then finding the right dance partners. You know, you have a rhythm and you have your steps and executing it in the best possible way. So I was given the opportunity. I was very fortunate. My Not given, asked for it, right? I asked for it. Yes, I was like, <laughs> right. no, I didn't demand for yeah, it. Right. I asked for it very nicely. And I said, well, then the good thing was uh, DNB was a very new company. At that point in Hong Kong, it was action movies, comedies, action movies, action and comedy, comedy and action, <laughs> and some drama in, in between, but the best sellers were these two. And so they thought, well, we'll let her try. If it doesn't work, we'll just put her back with the rest of the girls, right? And thank God, someone was watching out for me. It worked. I think the, the audience was just so taken aback by the fact that there was this because one thing I said was like, I don't want to come out looking like a bodybuilder. Like I'm prepared to <clears throat> march into battle. You, it has to be a woman who is fighting for herself or fighting for her family or fighting for her life. And then you would not be able to differentiate what the fight is about. It is that, it's about survival or it's about defense. It's about your job. And my director, Corey Yoon at that time was amazing. He literally, took it to, looked at me and go like, you're gonna fight, I don't care. People are not gonna remember whether it's a boy fighting or a girl fighting, you're just gonna fight. But I had trouble convincing my co-partners at the beginning because they are so used to fighting with guys the whole time, right? And they, in Hong Kong, well, it's physical. There is no slow motion. There's no like, ah, ah, oosh, oosh. <laughs> it is pa, 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 boom, <laughs> right? And then, so I, I remember, I trained. I really trained. I have great respect for people who, this is an art form. And the respect is given when you train hard, you are precise, you know exactly what you're doing. When someone says you kick them here, you don't kick them there. You have to know and execute properly. But I remember when I first started to fight with the guys, they would be fighting with each other. They turn around, they see me, they go. <gasps> Slow-mo, yeah. And I, suddenly their, their, their fists sort of go wonky. <laughs> and then my director, Corey, would come up to me and say, just give him a proper kick. I'm like, I can't do that. But he says, I think you have to show to him that. Because what we say is like, you better be able to take what you can give. I'm like, okay, because remember, I'm kind of small, I'm kind of petite, and these guys are generally kind of big, right? So I go, okay, I'm gonna do it. You told me to do it, okay, and you have to back me up. So when we are fighting, I really give him one, and then you can see the, <laughs> did you just do that? And then after that, it was like, okay, respect, we're gonna try this again. So it is, respect is earned. Right. It's not just given to you. So it took me a little bit, 
Uh, but you know, now at the end of the day, I am on the best terms with these guys who watch my back. They've taught, brought me to where I am today. They've taught me, you know, how to deal with situations, how to watch your own back, how to be careful, how to take care of each other, and that's. Well, I mean, right from the first time you did that kind of a role, which I believe would have been in Yes, Madam, 1985, um, this was, I mean, the public went nuts for this. This was the beginning of the, what they called Girls with Guns movie craze there. Um, And by the way, we should say, at that time, you were now being uh, advertised, credited as Michelle Wong, right? Michelle Tan. Michelle Tan. And then later it it changed a little bit. But um, so let me ask you, I mean, you come out of the gate with that movie nominated Best New Performer Hong Kong Film Award. People are going nuts. You're a big new star. And all of a sudden, pretty soon after that, you retire. (laughs) Can you tell us why you retired and then what led you to come out of retirement? Oh, okay. So this is another story. Um, so <laughs> I got into the action, and it was very intense. Um, uh, and because I did my own stunts, that was one thing that I really wanted to 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 be part of. Because I felt that if I can physically, if someone can do it, maybe I can train to do that. Dumb, not happening. Okay, <laughs> not always you can do all the things that the stunt people do. That's why they are the professionals, and you have to come to terms with that. Physical fighting is one thing, but actual stunt work is is completely different. But I did try some of them, like in in some of my movies. You will see I jump with on a motorcycle onto a train. I roll oh, we're coming to this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, um, I got to the stage where Dixon and I got married and I'm terrible at multitasking and I also believe that when I do something I have to give it my hundred and fifty percent and at that point I felt that if I continued to be an actress which meant that I would be away from home half the time or three quarters of the year that's hardly a marriage life that I had envisioned and I come from a quite a old-fashioned traditional family especially my mom, Um, and I felt that if I wanted to start a family, I would have to be able to be there to start a family, right? It helps. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was, we, we, we were good for each other. We loved each other, but unfortunately, things don't always happen the way you plan it or whatever it is. Uh, Then we decided to go our separate ways and I was actually very lucky because it was we were married. We were together for like seven, eight years before we got married, mm-hmm. and but we were only married for three years. Mm-hmm. And when I re- uh, came out of retirement, the press were the the people who came up to me and she said, "You know, your audience is still waiting for you to come out with your next movie." And you know, our business can be very fickle, and the short memory is very short. I have been away for three over three years. And they go like, no, no, no. They, they think you're still working and coming out with your movie next. And my next movie was Supercop. Yes. With Jackie Chan. Yes. This was... <laughs> directed by Stanley Tong. And another phenomenon, this was in 1992. Um, mm. Now, one of the things, first of all, speaking of the stunts that we just started to talk about, this is the one where... Uh, 
high-speed motorcycle onto a moving train. Uh, how long had you been riding motorcycles before you did that stunt? I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hadn't ridden a motorcycle ever. before. <laughs> a bicycle, maybe. Uh, yeah. So our training, you have to remember, we don't really rehearse for fight sequences. We literally get on the set. The stunt, the amazing stunt coordinator will look at the set and say, what can we break here? Where can we jump off? <laughs> and then they'll start choreographing, you know, the fight sequence, how many people are coming or running into the room, and then they'll start doing it, and then you watch them, you learn it, and we shoot it right away. So we don't have rehearsal time. And so then Stanley Tong, who is the amazing director of, of this film, said, well, your stunt will be you are riding a motorcycle and you'll be riding up this hill and you see they, the bad guys are on the train and the only way is you have to jump onto the train. So I'm like, yeah, okay, but I don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> don't worry, we'll teach you. So I have this person, literally, we're in a car park, okay? And those dirt bikes are quite high. Remember, I'm petite. So I remember going like, I can't touch the floor, I can't touch the floor. <laughs> And he says, don't worry, someone is holding it. So all you have to do is rev the engine. And so, okay. And then what happens when you stop? So when you stop, the bike will break, but then it will fall over. So what I learned to do was like, I would go. When I stop, I just threw the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I never learned how to stop a bike. And you, But this is not, I mean, m most people would be a little scared to do this. I think at that point, because I was in such physically in such good shape and mentally so attuned to what I, my whole body and things was doing, I was so hyped up confident. And it's actually very dangerous. Well, because as you also experienced on that same movie, right? Oh my God, yeah. What was, there's one that actually went very wrong. Yes. I mean, it could have gone really, really bad. Yeah. I don't know how many of you have watched Supercom. That's a, oh no, none of you. <laughs> no, we, 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 that means applause. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, we've seen it. This is a really, really fun movie to watch. Watch two old <clears throat> buddies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, the stunts that we did is insane. So the first one, I'm strapped to a van, literally sideways. And if you watch it, that wasn't acting. It was sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm literally like a rag doll. I was swinging, because the van is going at a high speed, taking corners. And if you see, because I have a scarf on my head, and then they say, oh, no, 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 no. It will block your face. We have to show it's you, or otherwise they'll think it's a stunt person. I'm like, how can they see it's a stunt person? It's my face. <laughs> so they actually choreographed the van to go around a corner by a tree so that the tree can literally whip off the scarf. Just watch that scene. And once you can see it's me, I turn around and I am like a rag doll. And suddenly I hear the driver swear in the worst possible way. And that, you know, because we are doing these car stunts for real, and there are other cars which are not car stunts because the road cannot be blocked off completely for you. So the next thing we know is like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like this, and I suddenly see this car. 
That's why I say I was so fit at that time, my reflexes were so fast. A car literally came underneath, and you will see in that scene where I suddenly go like, whoa, with my legs, not my hands, okay? Because the car went straight below me like that. And if I didn't do that, I think I would be not sitting. Oh, my God. Well, not to, not to harp on the scary stuff, but... So that was that was Super Cop in '92. There was super such a big thing that there was Super Cop two in '93. But then we get to '96, and you know that there's going to be some stunts when the movie is called the Stunt Woman. <laughs> Actually, that movie wasn't supposed to be an action-filled mm -hmm. film like Super Cop. It was my homage to the Stunt People because they were the unsung heroes. You never see their faces, right? Every time they do something, you. And they never get credit for what they're doing because, you know, us big egos, we have to know, I did everything <laughs> myself. <laughs> so um, in that film, I wanted to show the audience what it, what it was like to be that. You know, you were taking the, the, the beatings, the bruises, and all those kind of things, and no one ever knew that you were the one who was doing all these incredible things. And in this... The scene, we were showing that she had retired and she was coming back. And my mentor was Samo Hong, who was in the film, was the one who said, you have to take the leap. You can't hesitate. That's one thing you cannot do when you're doing a stunt. If you, you have to be very honest. Either you can do it or you can't do it. Because when you do it, you have to do it without hesitation. Because the minute you hesitate, that's when everything goes wrong. So, and... In that shot, it showed her hesitating. And when you say take a leap, this is literally taking a leap. Tell, <laughs> tell us what the stunt was. So the stunt was her jumping off uh, from a overhead bridge onto a moving truck at the bottom. The first part is the easy part, when it's the wide shot because you're on wires and you're t it's, a safe, it's a safe enough jump. So the second part where it's a close, close up. Well, you see your whole body, right? So you see Samo give me that push. So it's about 10, 15 feet. And we, have, we don't have airbags in Hong Kong. We have cardboard boxes. <laughs> it worked really well. High tech. <laughs> <laughs> so he pushes me. And I didn't realize he was really going to push me that hard. So it was my bad. And I toppled. But at the same time, the instinct of being an actor kicks in. And you're trying to react in such a way where, why are you do a boom? And I hit the bottom. But I hit it because when you dive off something, you're not like diving into water where you want to do the perfect hit. You have to go this way or you have to flip this way. Because when you go this way, what happens Drink. is your body bends backwards like that. And all I felt was my feet hit the top of my head. And literally, I heard my back go, like that. And when I flipped around, I knew I was in trouble because Samo, who is a professional veteran in this, and he's seen many sons go right or wrong. And for the first time, he calls me by my English name, Chu King, are you okay? And I'm like, oh shit, I'm in trouble <laughs> because he never speaks to me in English. Okay. And I, Anne Hoi was the director, and she's the most incredible drama director. So this was her sort of first real introduction into action. So can you imagine the shock and horror? I turned around, I looked at her face, and she was just standing there like this with tears 
streaming down her eyes because she felt so, so bad. But, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. And I remember going to the, they lifted, when you see the outtakes of the film, you will see I was being carted off. They sent me to the hospital. And one thing I think all these years of learning action, being in situations like that is to always remain calm always stay calm and think what you need to do to ensure that whatever situation you're in, it's going to be okay. I remember calling my fiance and say, I've just had an accident and I need you to find me our orthopedic surgeon doctor because I've, I've hurt my back. So, and then when we were, we got to the hospital and you know, we were doing all, waiting to do all the MRIs and the, the, the x-rays, they had the TV on. So I'm lying there like in a cast, like, oh God, what am I doing here? And the news had come out to say, oh, Michelle Yeoh is, has been in an accident and now she's in the hospital. Can you imagine? The first thing I was thinking was like, oh no, my parents are gonna hear about this. <laughs> this is bad. So I get me the phone and I call my mom, of course. She's like, hi mom. Like, oh, so we have a conversation. I say, oh, by the way, if you hear on the news, don't worry about it. <laughs> We're just doing some publicity. Because it was... <laughs> and meanwhile, what were the what were the actual ex the, what was the actual extent of the injuries? So I cracked some ribs. I had a t because I was so flexible. I didn't break my back. I was very very lucky. I had I was in a uh, a body sort of like suit for a while. I couldn't you know my neck, my back, all my muscles were shot, but. It wasn't a horrific injury, which could have been disastrous. But it was bad enough that, again, you're now thinking while you're in the hospital, maybe it's time to retire again. I heard that you got a visit from, of all people, Quentin Tarantino. Now, this is 1996. We know that Quentin loves his martial oh arts God. movies. And this is not the time that you're probably looking to be socializing and networking, but... Uh, so you hear that Quentin Tarantino wants to visit you, and what do you say? So um, I was, I think what affected me most was, of course, my parents, my mom, they didn't come to Hong Kong. Because what is the point? She'll be looking at me crying the whole time. I'm like, I can't cope with that. But my friends, they, they are like my extended family, because by then I'd, I've, I've lived in Hong Kong for maybe 20-something, 30 years. And at that point, I went through so many things and my girls, my sisters um, have always been with me and I remember them coming to the hospital and they say, we can't help you. Please don't do this to yourself. And I was like, okay, girls, I'm actually injured. Don't, don't. <laughs> but their attitude is like, you don't need to do this. You have to learn to take care of yourself. And it, it I heard them because if you get further injured, you can't do what you love. So you have to be sensible and smart about it. But then on the other hand, it's like, okay, maybe it's time to take a big step back and reevaluate the situation. And remember when you're on a lot of drugs, you get kind of depressed and you go in, you slide down the rabbit hole and you're going like, oh, okay, maybe I'll... Then I get a call from my assistant saying, Quentin Tarantino is in town. And at that point, I was also a huge fan. I know, you know, we know how his love um, to the Hong Kong cinemas and, and action movies and things like that. And he said, he really, please, can you give him five minutes? And you know, you're up to there with this, and you're like, 
I don't want to see anybody. Thank you very much. <laughs> but no, Wing Quentin, he's relentless. He kept calling in Indiana. I said, okay, all right. <sighs> yes, I will, because he has shown such great respect for our culture and our art form. I would, I would love to meet him. So I came, he came, and I remember, he, you know, he's a big guy. He's la larger than life. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the couch, and I can't stand up to greet him. So he, literally, he comes down the stairs. <laughs> the next thing I see is he picks up a pillow, he throws it there, and he sat at my <laughs> on, feet. On your feet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. Hi, Quentin. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> and then the next thing I knew is like, he started talking about my movies, he could recite them like frame for frame mm -hmm. from Yes, Madam, you know, that shot where I did over the banister and pulled the two guys. And before long, he, I was getting so enthralled and excited <laughs> with him. So we were both and my assistant and my fiance was like, uh, I think you better calm down. <laughs> You're not supposed to be doing all these like big right. movements. So it's like rediscovering. I do love what I, 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 I do love it. And why should I not continue to have this kind of passion? But I will promise myself and all the people who love me that I will take it and I will learn to protect myself in a much better way and say, oh, guess what? Not doing that. Yeah, right. Your turn. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, and so what could have been a, a second retirement, I guess that gave you, buoyed you a little, little bit. Um, we'll note just quickly, you know, the obvious question is, why, Quentin, did you then not cast Michelle in Kill Bill? And I've heard him say, because nobody would believe that Uma Thurman could kick Michelle's ass. So that was... Uh, that is right? the absolute truth, because the next time I saw him, <laughs> I was like, Quentin, you tell me you are my biggest fan, you blah, 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 blah. So why wasn't I not cast in Kill Bill? Right. Like, Nobody's going to believe you. Uma Thurman can kick your ass. <laughs> But it also is is probably um, I don't know exact if the chronology exactly would have conflicted, but it, what what then did happen very soon after your accident and then uh, re-energizing about being in the movies is that you get a call, I believe, from Barbara Broccoli yes. and Michael Wilson, who oversee the Bond films and are also, I guess, big admirers of. Uh, Hong Kong cinema and thought, you know what, it's about time we feature this in some way in the Bond movies, which brings us to the part of Waylon in Roger Spottiswoode's uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which I will also note was written by Bruce Fairstein, who we Woo! have here, who is the husband of Chapman's own, Madeline Warren. Hey, Take a on, little, come on, there we go. Give a little wave. There he is. So... So Bruce and Bruce, you can, you and Madeline can correct me if I say anything wrong, but uh, I believe that at this point they reach out, they say, Michelle, we'd like you to be a Bond girl who we're going to write in, but not sort of the passive, you know, just sexy name, be in a bikini, <laughs> run around, you know, be saved. This is going to be a different kind of Bond girl, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Very, very different. I mean, I'm not exactly the conventional, I don't know what's conventional Bond girl. <laughs> I think the whole image changed, right? Well, you changed it. Come on, Bruce, say hello. <laughs> <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to say? Oh, 
Say how great I am. She was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I will only tell you one. Can I do this for you? Yeah, let's go. Okay. I have one funny story about her, which oh. was, was we were shooting at Pinewood, and we were shooting nights, and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and on the next stage over, they were shooting the Avengers. Yes. <laughs> and we look at each other and go, we got to go kick their asses. <laughs> and we would win. Yes, and we would win. And we would win. That's what we said. We plotted it. <laughs> the thing about, can I say something? Yeah. The thing about working with her was amazing because it was the first time I had worked on a movie with stunts. And to watch, there's a scene in a bicycle shop where I watched, like, with my mouth on, just like, where I watched them rehearse this and choreograph it, choreograph it, and choreograph it. And it was stunning. And so much of what made that movie great is the person you're listening to tonight. So. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Um, well, and the stunt that Tomorrow Never Dies will always be remembered for, among others, I think would be the the Saigon motorcycle <laughs> chase, which in fact was not shot there. I guess it was in Bangkok where you guys shot it. But, Bangkok uh, and then back in London. And then back in London. But um, it really was the the beginning of a new era of Bond girls, but also this was the first time that you were credited as Michelle Yeoh. And this was really also your first introduction to American audiences who maybe were not familiar, as Quentin was, with, uh, with Asian cinema. Um, did you find... What's interesting also is, all right, so you now have done this movie, you've reached the biggest audience you've ever had up to that point, I would think, mm -hmm. around the world, and yet it would be another three years before you made another movie. And I think that the... Can you tell us why that was and why the movie that got you back was Ang Lee, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I've spent, I think, um, my entire career uh, pursuing characters that I believe in, that I want to see on the big screen. And I've always known women are strong and women should be given opportunities and real voices. So when, especially at that point in America, I found that it was um, the roles that, was, that were coming because now I was a better known actress, mm -hmm. were very stereotypical token roles. And I go, why would I want to do this? Mm -hmm. Right? Because my, my attitude was like, if I do this, I endorse that this is what we are like. Then everybody would think, yeah, if you do it, isn't that what you're saying? And at that point, when I did first come out to America, it was very interesting. We were just talking about this tonight. Um, the, at, America was very insular, in, especially Hollywood. They looked films and stories about this backyard and not very much about what was going on around the world, and which was something that we were very privy to because we come from the other side of the world. And I grew up in Malaysia where we were uh, multiracial. You know, we grew up with the Malays, the Indians, the Chinese, and we never saw each other as different but similar in many ways. 
So, um, and I remember when I first came out here, when you take meetings, as you do, the first thing they always said to me was, oh, wow, you speak English. <laughs> and then you look at them, you're like, wow, this is very interesting. Do they not realize that outside of America, we do speak <laughs> English? <laughs> and so by, by, by at some point, I had to laugh at it, and I said, yeah, you know, the flight coming over here was like 13, 14 hours, so I learned it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave up. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now, even before the Bond movie, you had heard from Ang Lee, right? It was that, oh, yes. it, was the, it was only that it maybe became more financeable, perhaps, because of your great success with and uh, higher profile? Um, I think, no, no, no. Ang, I mean, Ang had done Sense and Sensibility. He had, because I remember, Ang is very deliberate. Ang plans ahead. Ang dreams, and he makes the dreams realized and come true. But it's all part of his plan. And it doesn't happen overnight. So that's why, you see, Ang doesn't come up with a movie every year or every half a year or something like this. So I had met him um, at a retrospective of mine in New York, and he had come specially just to say hello with uh, Jane, his amazing wife. So then it was just hello, we saw each other, and of course I knew who he was. So while I was doing uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, the, the, the press circuit in Los Angeles, and someone said, oh, the director Ang Lee would uh, request it if he can have coffee with you. And I'm like, of course. <laughs> And I would never forget. The first thing he said to me was, now you are so famous, I don't know if you would consider working for me. And I was like, did you just say what you just <laughs> said? And when Ang talks about film and what his ideas, it's literally, I felt like I was watching an artist who was doing watercolor and painting this stream and the fish swimming down it. And he says, I want to do sense and sensibility with martial arts. <laughs> I'm like, when? <laughs> it took us two and a half years to get to that point. But you know, like what they say, sometimes things that are worth waiting for, you have to wait for it. And meanwhile, I'm, I am very blessed. I am very fortunate that I don't have to be working just to pay the rent. So I, I understand how lucky I am to be able to do, to turn around and say no, and to turn around to be able to wait, you know, for when the right thing comes. Well, and let's just say this part, you, Shulian, uh, uh, who you play in this film, the lead of a film that, you know, there really hadn't been anything like, like it before in terms of in this country being such a phenomenon as well with subtitled uh, dialogue and and just the the whole genre was not really tested in this country in the same way. Let's note it was a Critics Darling, a giant blockbuster, a giant hit with the Academy, ten nominations, including Best Picture. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Won four awards, but the thing that in hindsight is a little more striking, I guess, that wasn't discussed as much at the time, was that while you had received a Best Actress BAFTA Award nomination, this, like with Parasite, like with other non-English language movies that have been well-received as movies, there's something, there's some hurdle that has existed where they haven't mm -hmm. nominated any of the performers mm -hmm. for the Oscar. Um, it looks like 
we may be heading in a in a in a better direction on all of that. But I guess I just wonder. Yeah, let's break that <laughs> right? that glass jar. <laughs> but um, you know, and and we would see this again with some of the other stuff. Like you know, you you shortly thereafter. Uh, did Memoirs of a Gay Show with Rob Marshall, 2005. Similar similar thing. But I guess just for you as um, probably the highest profile Asian actress working in Hollywood at that time, w did you feel like there was a, a glass ceiling for what you could do in this, in this uh, country's industry at that time? <sighs> <laughs> Hmm. I think you, when you get to, a, mm, at that point, at a certain stage, I think you keep going forward and keep doing what, and hope that things will change for the better and people will understand that you can have the best picture without the best actress or the best actor or the best DP or the best director, right? It just seems like mm. not rocket science. So I do hope, yes. Um, and also the acceptance for faces that look like this are much more embraced now. They're more, I mean, to be honest, it was in Crazy Rich Asians. That was the first time, Crouching Tiger is still regarded as a foreign film. Mm -hmm. Remember that, foreign language. Yeah, foreign one story, Taiwan, best foreign language. Period yeah. film, right. right? It's not, but what we really wanted to see, a contemporary, we are here. Why are we not up there too? Mm -hmm. It seems like that, that, right? That diversity should be reflected. And we should be able to see all of us doing that up there as well. So it, it's been a, I mean, we don't stop fighting the battles. Well, and to that point, there have been, um, you know, a wide variety of films that you've been a part of in the, over the 20 two years since Crouching Tiger. And just to mention a few, we talked about or just brought up Memoirs of Geisha, which I know you were uh, very excited about, you know, adapting because of the book was, was such a special one. Um, Danny Boyle's movie Sunshine in 2007, uh, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008, which will perhaps be extra notable all these years later because it starred... Uh, the people who many people feel are 2022's best actor and actress, <laughs> Brandon Fraser and Michelle Yeoh. Um, then there was uh, a movie that was the one that I, I mentioned speaking to you about in 2011, which I know was another passion project for you. This was The Lady, um, in which you played a, a person, you really uh, essentially not commissioned, but but sought out a script about this this lady who I will ask you to talk about why she was so um, important to you and what and you know what it was like to to play her, but uh, a woman you call Dasu, meaning aunt, but yeah. you can tell anyone who may not know who we're talking about and what it was like to play her. So Dasu Aung San Suu Kyi yes. is the leader in um, Burma, and unfortunately today she is back, back in, under yeah. arrest again and this time not house arrest she is in jail and we don't really know where she is right now but at that point uh, Luke Besson and myself and Virginie Besson we wanted to tell this and it wasn't just about politics and the viciousness of the army at that time but really it was a love story 
um, the love of a husband um, and a wife and a mother who one day was a mother of two, suddenly became a mother of a nation. And we always asked her, how could you make such a sacrifice? And she said it wasn't. It is a choice. And it's very interesting how we use that word, right? What is a sacrifice and what is a choice? A choice is something that you decide to do irregardless of the consequences to yourself or to the others, because you know that it's the right thing to do. A sacrifice, you feel that, oh, I'm doing it for the goodness of you. So it's slightly different. And for her, it was a very clear message. But Aung San Suu Kyi's story was so interesting for us because it was about oppression, suppression. It was about the loss of uh, human rights, uh, democracy. And we wanted to tell it, but not, in, uh, not like the way Killing Fields had approached the subject matter. We wanted to do it from a point of love and how we could use that to, to overcome uh, certain things. But, not always successful in the best of times, as we can see what is happening around the world today. But we don't give up trying. So that project was a token a love letter. Well, and a, and a um, I don't know if ironic is the correct word here, but that a woman, an actress who is known for movement, playing a person who was so still. known for being still and calm and tranquil and had to be to get through some some tough times I, but uh i know she very much approved of the performance when you finally against all odds actually did get to meet with her uh mm -hmm. during that brief period before she went back to um being uh, locked locked down but um one other project we're going to talk about before everything everywhere and then we're going to um wind down with that you mentioned it it was the first Hollywood studio film with an all-Asian cast since the Joy Luck Club 25 years earlier, a giant hit which grossed more than $200 million, but that was not at all a guarantee, which made it a bit of a risk. If this movie had flopped, it could have made it so that it would be another 25 years before. So we are talking about Crazy Rich Asians in which you played, yes, Eleanor Young, this mother who's skeptical of her son's love interest, taking him away. Um, and you've said that prior to Everything Everywhere, people sort of are unaware somehow that you also that you have a sense of humor. You often are <laughs> cast as very serious, sometimes uh, even villainous characters. But you said if you were going to play this part, it was not going to just be a, a two-dimensional uh, or one-dimensional, rather, uh, kind of um, dragon mother, but you were. She has an argument for why she yes. feels the way she does, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, it's true. When I first received the script for Crazy Rich Asians, um, and at that point, I didn't understand. Maybe we all didn't understand how crucial it was because it was the Kevin Kwan's book was a bestseller. I mean, he wrote a trilogy, right? And it was a no-brainer because the studios could see it, it's successful, and now translated into film. But then it was an all-Asian cast. So it was a bit of, oh, let's hold back. Maybe we should change the actress into Caucasian girl. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. Those were always their worries. It's like, why are we not good enough to be the lead? So, um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, John Chu, who is um, 
at that point, he was very well known. He was fighting for his way, and he he had a vision. And but when I got the script, I went, oh no, I passed on it. I literally said, no, okay, I'm not doing this, because the script read like Hangover. Oh, the Hangover, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hangover series. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're commercial films. I'm not saying they're bad movies, yeah. right? They're very commercial movies. But I didn't think I wanted to be in like in, included in like a bachelor party and you know <laughs> bitches like trying to kill each other. I don't know why. I was like, ah, not really my cup of tea. But the worst was the mother was written like a villain. She was like the meanest. I'm like, what? Well, my godson said, God, Ma, please don't do this. I was like, why? He said. The mother is so mean and horrible. I don't want you to be so horrible. <laughs> so I said, okay, I will talk to John Chu because the reason why is I believe the director, because whatever is written on paper, I'm not trying to say that what's written on the paper is not good enough, okay? But it needs a director that has a vision to bring the words that are written to life, right? So if and John Chu, I had seen his work. It's very important for me to understand if the director has the kind of vision or uh, I agree with the, the kind of things that he wants to talk about. And I saw that he did a documentary on Justin Bieber. Yeah. That, yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> Justin Bieber, like, whoa. No, but I saw a, another side of Justin Bieber that we all know from the paparazzi, from the the the... the the trades. Yeah. And I saw a very lonely man. And I saw someone who was trying to get out of that. He was trying to, he loved his art form. And I thought this director had soul. He had a beautiful way of imparting a message. So then I went, okay, I'll talk to John Chu. So I said, John, what is the tone of your movie? What is your movie going to be about? And if he had said, oh, it's going to be like Hangover 2, you know, we're going to go these places and we're going to, then I would have said, Good luck, buddy. Bye. <laughs> and then he said, oh, if I did something like that, my mother would kill me. And I thought, oh, now he's talking. So we, had, we started to have a conversation. And I said, there is no love between the mother and son. And in, in the movie, I'm sure most of you have seen this movie, right? Mm -hmm. Come on. Mm -hmm. I, there, is, there are not a lot of scenes between the mother and son in the kitchen. Then in his uh, bedroom, ha-ha, ha-ha, hot stuff. <laughs> and then it was, and you had to feel in that two scenes, there is real love and care. The reason why she's doing this for the son is not because she doesn't like the girl. She, she doesn't even know the girl yet. But all she has understood so far is like the cultures are different. Even though, yes, you are Chinese, but because you've been brought up in a different society or culture you've been you you think differently from us so we we do have the saying you know yellow on the outside white on the inside you're a banana yes we, <laughs> we say that about ourselves because then you are so um independent in that way because in asia we always put family first your elders first but here you are taught you have to look after yourself first right so there's nothing, it's not a right or wrong way of doing it, but that's how it is. But in Asia, this young man, my son, had so much responsibilities because it wasn't just about him looking after the family, but the whole business. I mean, they were like the Prince, Her the Prince William back in Asia. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just him looking after himself, but he had to think about all these families that looked to him for their livelihood and their support. 
So all she wanted to make sure was this young lady understood what she was coming into, that she can put herself first, that she has to put, not by putting the man first, but putting the family first. So it's a very, it's a very delicate dynamic. Totally. So when, well, it was it's very interesting, because when we did that, you will never be enough. I'm like, <laughs> that's just a statement. And then John Chu said, you were so scary. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, that was the most interesting time, because rarely do I do two movies at the same time. Ooh. And I was doing a movie with Master Yun Wuping in China, literally running from one set to the other set. And that movie was Master Z. Mm -hmm. A full-blown action film. <laughs> I swear to God, if Constance moved wrongly, I would have... <laughs> and, if, <laughs> and I would be like, oh, sorry, wrong movie. Right, wrong movie. <laughs> and if, if only the other uh, movies, martial artists had known that you were a believer, they might have, might have thrown <laughs> them. Uh, <laughs> but, okay, so this brings us to this uh, great current movie that the audience here has just seen, but for the purposes of our listeners, um, Evelyn Wang, a woman born in China who left her parents behind and followed her boyfriend to America, where her life has not necessarily unfolded the way she expected. This in Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart's Everything Everywhere All at Once. We They are also known as the Daniels. Um, and it's again dealing with intergenerational misunderstanding, right? Yes, it is. It is. I think, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with, um, did you enjoy the movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest hit in the history of A24. We got a standing, <laughs> standing ovation. It's pretty good. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't see that every day. Oh, my God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> awesome. Wow. If only the Daniels were here. Right. I have no, we've had a, a, some, some special guests. I've never seen that here. So that is oh, a compliment. Thank you. Um, well, so let's talk about it. The Daniels, up to this point, had been known as they will be the first to admit, for a movie in which the former Harry Potter plays a farting, farting corpse. corpse. <laughs> so, I mean, it was not an obvious, <laughs> very good movie, but... <laughs> I, when I first received the script... Okay, let's rewind. So, all these years, you know, as an actress, as a woman, Sorry, ladies, this is something it's hard to hear. But once you get to a certain age, they start putting you in a box and telling you all the things you cannot do, unable to do, and blah, 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 blah. So can you imagine over the last 10 years, 15 years, I've been coming to the stage where you go, seriously, why is it the guys still get to go out and save the day, and I'm relegated to be sitting at home by the phone? It's like, no. And it becomes like, <laughs> but unfortunately, but that's the horrible truth, right? Since Crouching Tiger, nowadays when I do, when I was doing interviews for Crazy Rich Asians, yeah. or um, even Shang-Chi. <laughs> yes, we didn't even get, yeah. So I am the mother, I am the auntie, but still the mother and the auntie, right? And then the reporters, the journalists that come in, it goes like, 
my parents are really excited that I'm here to interview you. <laughs> and I go, but if you think about it, it I understand. Because Crouching Tiger came out 22 years ago. Where were they? They were still <laughs> probably either in nappies or still in school, right? So this generation still have not come to the point where they, unless you are film lovers, you won't be seeing Supercop or, right? right? Like Crouching Tiger and all these kind of movies. And I, I get it. So then I realized I better up my thing and work hard on this. So how am I going to, but I can't do it alone. I need writers, studio executives, the heads, directors who have this vision to say, it's not always by age or by this or by gender that we are allowed to do things in that way. It's how you tell the story and find the story that tells it the best way. So then when it came to Shang-Chi, I was very fortunate to play a very loving aunt and got to show my skills mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm still waiting for that role. And then constantly I get scripts where I am playing the mother. And the worst was they sent me a script to play the grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, huh. Right, right, right in the garbage. <laughs> Not doing that yet. <laughs> it will come a time. <laughs> I mean, one of my biggest heroes is Dame Judi Dench, right? right. Come on. Your uh, M. Uh, <laughs> yes. M. So then when I received... The, um, the Daniel script, I was very moved because I thought, my God, I haven't seen a script where you, the woman is addressed as the superhero. Finally, then I went, okay, this could be a bad dream, right? Don't put your hopes in there first. What have they done? And they said, oh, they did the Swiss army man. I'm like, Send it off. I know some people are like, oh, they did the switch on me. The what? So they sent the thing to me. And you remember the opening sequence where he's standing there and he's trying to commit suicide and that doesn't happen. Next thing you see the cops. And I was so fascinated and intrigued by the fact that I watched the entire film about a farting cops. <laughs> I said, I have to meet the Daniel. Yes. And I remember, I think they can tell this story as It was well. during the Crazy Rich Asians period, right? Yes, that was during the yep. Crazy Rich Asians period where everything was just exploding around us, where the movie was so embraced by... So now the generation, this generation was beginning, oh, like the mean mom, the mean mom. I'm like, <laughs> it's okay, as long as they know me as somebody, right? right? right, right. <laughs> so it's a step forward. We're getting there, we're getting there. Then um, when I met them, I remember Shinet guys and Daniel. Daniel Kwan. I'm like, okay, so boys, what is this story? First, you have to change the name. And they, they look at me, they go like, change what name? They thought I wanted to change everything everywhere all at once. I was like, <laughs> no, because the character was initially called Michelle Wong. Right. And I go like, you can't call her Michelle. And they were so confused. They were like, but it's written for you. You know, it's about, I'm like, I am not an aging immigrant who runs a laundromat, <laughs> okay? Guys, come on, let her have a voice because we have so many of these mothers who are there. If you go to Chinatown, their heads are down. They are only focused on, you know, getting, getting home, making sure everything is run properly and, you know, their businesses are, and their children are in school. 
She needs the voice and she deserves the voice. And if you call her Michelle, every time the audience is looking, I bet if just now her name was Michelle, you would go, is that Michelle playing Michelle Yeo or right, Michelle Yeo right. trying to play? Right? It would be so distracting. And then they'd look like, okay. I was like, no, if you're not moving forward with that, we're not going forward anywhere. They're like, we're changing, we're changing it. <laughs> it was so funny. And then... Um, so what I needed to hear from them was, where did the story come from? Is it from just lip service or from here? And they were very honest. They first wrote it because it was an action film. They said, we threw everything that we couldn't do before into this, this, this script. It started off because it was an action film. It was written for a man. Right. At least they were honest. And, and it uh, was written for Jackie yeah, Chan. I was just going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And they want to, me to play his wife. I'm like, <laughs> so glad you didn't do that. Yes. <laughs> so when they came back, they actually met with Jackie. And then they wised up. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Then they came back and they said, you know, why are we doing the same thing? Everybody does this. We keep looking for the original story, right? But sometimes we are too afraid to tell the original story because you think... Nobody will be able to accept it. But if you don't do it, if you don't take the risk, how do you know? Right? You have to do it. Don't be the first person to say no to yourself. You can say no to others, but don't say it to yourself, first of all. It means you're not going to do anything. So then they came back. They literally took it all apart, and they rewrote it. They did write it with me in mind. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, that's brave. What if I said no? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, I think we would not be able to make yeah, it. Yeah, they'd be screwed. That, that, yeah. <laughs> um, but we, I understood, I call them my crazy geniuses because they, what I love about them is there is no ego. It's not your idea, it's not my idea. We came forward together and we are always moving together. So during the whole period of the shoot, it was like we were, we were collaborating. Everyone just threw their hearts and souls into it. For me, it was like, the opportunity in a, in a way of a lifetime because so far all, yes i was doing like five genre of film right yeah it was everything. science fiction it was comedy it was horror it was action it was drama the title says it that's it's all <laughs> uh, and so i have i have just two two more questions and then we're turning this over to the audience but uh, just feel like we have to know this is the first time you've ever been number one on the call sheet of a Hollywood movie. God, yes. This, you are surround. You've never really been able to show your comedic side as much as we see it in, in this. Yeah. You are surrounded by a cast that includes Kehi Kwan, who has not, God. people know him. I, it, I did not put two and two together immediately when I first saw the movie, so I'm guessing some of you may not have either. This is a guy who has not acted in 20 years, but you last saw him perhaps yeah. in The Goonies and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom as a kid, short round. Yeah. Um, Stephanie Hsu, who's great, and I knew her from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She was awesome in that, yes. is awesome in that. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my God. And just a, a really like, you can't beat the ensemble. Um, James Hong. James Hong, the great, great, yeah, great James Hong. Hong. If you don't know, Google. Uh, but uh, I guess just as you reflect on 
the fact that you everything that you did in this movie from uh you know, fight scenes where you couldn't show that you were too good, but you you were you had fight scenes. You have uh, drama. You have comedy. You have fighting with hot dog fingers and sex toys and everything in between. Um, and this movie comes out, which could have been a total, it, a total disaster. Pretty weird. You know, the same way that the not not that that Swiss Army Man was a disaster, but it will forever be known as the oh, farting oh. corpse movie. This. Could have been a butt plug. A movie. butt plug movie, right? <laughs> uh, but instead, a hundred million plus at the box office, the biggest hit ever from A24, which has done Moonlight and Lady Bird and everything. Um, and uh, I guess just you know, so as as the second to last question, just for you to be able to reflect and watch this and see what. Let other know that other people are now getting to see that you can do all of these things and many more. Just what is it? Must be kind of a, a special moment for you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very very special. I think what is so special is that to be able to reach out to this generation and to be able to start the conversation. And I think what I loved most was like a lot of the the young people who have seen it when they leave and they, they go, I'm gonna call my mom. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. and I think that means so much to me. It's like, we never give up on each other. The, the movie is about love, it's about kindness, it's about giving and never giving up on your family because we will always be there. We don't know how to say we love you. We don't know, we only know how to criticize you because we want you to be better. And maybe that's not always the best approach, but you know, we, we can't keep, uh, even for me, it's like we can't keep up with you because you're born in this generation where things happen so fast. And you, you look at us and go like, you dinosaurs, you can't even keep up with me. Why should I listen to you? And you go, oh my God, because I have got children. And so I hear them and they are in their age, 16, 17. That's the most crucial time where the bonding has to be there. Otherwise it is forever. The gulf just gets wider and wider. And I hear them when, I sit, when they say, oh, you know, my mom is always criticizing me, just telling me what to do and she doesn't know what I want and blah, 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 blah. And after seeing this movie, people sort of say, let's both sides, moms and daughters and husbands and wife, take a step back not judging, let's not judge. Let's learn to communicate. We have to start somewhere. And maybe just by saying hello, right? Mm -hmm. Coming home and giving each other a hug or something like that. I mean, I, I go home and the first thing my mom says to me, your hair is so long. I'm like, <laughs> nice to see you too, mom. <laughs> I mean, she still treats me like a little girl. That's it. That's it. And I think in your parents' eyes, they will always forever see you as their baby. Mm -hmm. And they will always feel it's their duty to make sure you're a better person. And the only way they know how is to criticize you. I'm right. so I sorry guess to you, they're always, you're always Joba, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Tupac, Tupac, yeah. Uh, okay, last question for me. Um, we are going to get to see you also, I believe, later this year in the sequel to Avatar. Avatar. And in the next four years in two other Avatar movies. This is, uh, James Cameron is back and brought you with him, and this will, very excited to see what that is. Um, obviously, the response to this movie in the industry, I'm sure you're getting 
uh, more uh, more interest for more things than maybe ever. Um, it's a it's an amazing moment as we've established. But I guess final question for you to play a little bit of everything everywhere all at once uh, multiverse games with you. We talked about there were two or three times where you might have retired. Yeah. What would I have done? Where would you be right now? And uh, are are you? I imagine probably pretty happy you did it. You see, that's the thing about me. It's like, I don't look back and think I should have done that. I look forward to see where am I going to go and what can I do better? Because I believe it, it's always a, yeah. Every day is a learning experience. And I don't believe, I'm still learning. And I don't believe you have learned to be your best already. Like when they say, which is your best movie? I said, I hope it's the one that I haven't done yet. It will be in the future. Mm -hmm. And I hope this will give me more opportunities to be able to explore um, women in so many, so many dimensions, so many, uh, and not be capped by their age or anything like that. So it's going to be a fun journey ahead. And, and then I did the Minions, come on. <laughs> so now I not only have you guys, but I also have the little ones. And my little, my little, <laughs> yeah. I have a goddaughter who has a niece. She's three years old and she calls me Papa Michelle. I FaceTime <laughs> with her all the time, all right? And she goes, Papa Michelle, why you beat the minions? <laughs> like, don't beat, because they're very naughty. <laughs> so now she learns to be, I don't, I'm not naughty, Papa Michelle. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for this. And we are now going to take a lucky three student questions. Ooh, all right. We're going to oh, start wow. <laughs> over on this side. I see somebody has the microphone. So, all right, I'm supposed to be the bad guy that picks and chooses. This gentleman right in the middle, please. Yes, sir. Stand up, please, and they'll bring you a mic. Hold on. Wait for the mic. There you go. Please introduce yourself and then ask your question. Hi. My name is Jerry Zhou. Um... I'm a theater performance major. What advices do you have for young Asian actors who are just entering the industry? Oh, what advice? Well, follow your dream. Don't give up. <laughs> it's not an easy journey ahead. It's never going to be. But you have to, first of all, believe in yourself. You have to work really hard. I always say, um, you know, it takes luck. But when luck calls your way, you better be prepared. So the harder you work, the luckier you're going to get. Great. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to come to this side, and I'm going to make our mic friend go all the way to the back. Stand up, that person who I see your hand. Yep. Let's be, to be geographically fair, we are going up there. <laughs> there we go. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> Please introduce yourself and your year. And then ask your question. Um, good evening, um, Ms. Michelle. Uh, my name is um, Evie Lin Lei. Uh, I'm an international student from Vietnam. I'm currently studying writing for film and television. I, I picked the name Evie for me because I feel like sometimes people misspell my name. It's like it's Lin, like in Lin Manuel Miranda. And my last name is L-E, not L-E-E. -E. So sometimes people may misspell my name as Lee. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, so it's actually Le, right. and like as a Vietnamese last name. Um, so uh, a, a question uh, that I want to ask you is that, um, as you see, like you notice me when I said I'm a banana, pick me. <laughs> so uh, so um, I feel like I'm a banana. So have have you ever felt like uh, you are not um, as like as yellow as other yellow or like as white as other white or like have you ever felt like you are you are somewhere in between that you are not belonging any any words or or like you just you just felt like kind of caught like, between like worlds it, it class and whenever you try to be Vietnamese you cannot be Vietnamese because you were raised in an international news You went to an international schools and you study all this like IV program, uh, IGCSE program. I, I I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, but um, yeah, I, I I went through a lot of like different international school and I feel like I'm not as Vietnamese as, as other Vietnamese kids. So sometimes I feel like I feel like they. I have a cousin who went to uh, a public school in Vietnam and she said that I'm not as and. Uh, I, I don't love my country as she did, uh, as she does, because I went to an international school and I learning English and stuff. And thank I, you for the question. Let's give her a chance. Let's see. Uh, I think being you've lived in, you've worked in both the Asian industry and Hollywood industry, and uh, lived in all over the world. Maybe uh, you I've have lived a, out of a suitcase for the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah. I think what you have to do is you have to be confident of who you are. Yes, you are Vietnamese, but you are also a child of the world. So embrace that. You know, you don't have to be. But like, will will the world accept yes. me as as a banana, or like, will the world like? I don't. Sometimes, sometimes the world like. I like I like you to be inside the banana. I like you to be the core. Like, just peel peel all the peel away. Or like, when I come back to Vietnam, like my relative would tell me like. You know what? I just need to peel. Like, well, thank you for the question, and we are gonna come to the middle here. This lady right in the front, thank you. and here you go. Um. Okay. Hi. <laughs> I was not expecting that, but um. Hi, I'm Janie. Um. I'm actually not a film major. I'm an education major. Um. <laughs> education major. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of studying in terms of like diversity in film and in children's literature. And I was wondering for you, when you experienced starting in the film industry and you were working with, you know, having to be kind of in that stereotypical field, how did you break out of that? And what kind of response were you getting from the writers and the directors when doing that? I think I, I must say, I remember I started my career in Hong Kong, right? And at that point, the movies were all about Asians. It was the Caucasian who was always the bad guy. <laughs> right? So when we were back there, and it gave us great confidence as storytellers and how our stories should be told. And it was truly when I first came out here to America. When, even when I did the Bond movie, I didn't feel like I was a minority. I felt... Um, because, you know, we were, as many places in Asia, we were British ruled. So, you know, we were very used to their customs and we had learned to live together over a long period of time. 
But when, it was only when I came to America, when I suddenly became a minority, I got very confused. I was like, how am I a minority? <laughs> it just didn't make sense. And where did this word come from? Yes. So I think today there is much more diversity. This is something that we have all been fighting for. I mean, even the sustainable development goals, we fight for gender equality, right? And you would have thought by now, shouldn't we already have that? Shouldn't that be a thing of the past and we would have moved forward? But what it is what it is. So we will continue to fight this because we need to do that for the better of the whole world. How can there not be equality when half the population are women? Right? So let's all work together on this and make this a better place which we deserve to be living in. Michelle Yeo, we thank you for all the great work. Thank you for coming here. And I think you have a room full of people who are rooting for much success in the rest of the season and beyond. So thank you again so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.